Hey, folks, thanks for downloading and subscribing to the Live Life Aggressive Show. This is Sincere Hogan. Got Mike Mahler on the other line. And, man, we're coming off of a, a very interesting weekend in this world, in MMA and everything else, man. So Yeah, well, we'll probably talk to our guest about some of the things, some of the things that happened yes. in Paris, the, the UFC upset. There was a guy, I was just telling you before we started recording, there was a guy who's a sports better in Vegas who bet $21,000 on Holly for the win. Jeez. And he made two hundred and forty thousand bucks. You know, Man. Dana White said that so many people bet on Holly that at the Bellagio they actually had to shut down the sports book office and get more cash because they didn't have enough to pay people out. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, you're the first guy I thought about. My wife and I were sitting there watching. I said, I wonder how much Mike put down on Holly because he always puts money. He always puts some money down on the underdog. I was like, I know he came up like the mob, and I text you, and you're like, I didn't get around to. It. I was like, Oh, come on, man. I was gonna put two hundred bucks down. I would have made eight hundred. Wow. <laughs> but you know what? You know how many times I've put money down on Ronda's opponent and, and lost it? Right. <laughs> so well, 12 times? <laughs> well, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's why I didn't have an incentive to drive right. to them. Like, oh, i got to get there and place this bet. Like, I have some inside knowledge or something. <laughs> right. I was like, ah, if I get around to it, I'll do it. I didn't get around to it. I was like, ah, who cares? Probably, right. probably going to lose anyway. No point in me losing. <laughs> but, uh, man, well, let, let's, uh, let's, let's talk to our guest in a second. Real quick, just some shout-outs. People, our listeners that have been using that coupon code LLA to get 10% off the best nutrition supplements around. We got Joseph Viz, Christopher Kaufman, Stefan Fabian, Nicholas Button, Jeffin, Jeff Herman, Martin Fellows, James Davis, Dave, David McElroy, Maurice Burroughs, Frank Welling, Corey Burks, Brian Watkins. So you need to join these folks and use that coupon go get 10% off. You know, a lot of you guys out there have mm-hmm. bitch tits and a gawk, man. You got serious estrogen dominance, and you're not doing jack shit about it. So the, what you need to do is, you know, go buy a five-pack of EC <laughs> and start clean up your diet, your exercise regimen. Make 2016 the year that you look like a man, a man again. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Right look. now, you're halfway to Caitlyn Jenner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys out there are proof that you can get a sex change without surgery because they're fucking 75% of the way there. Look, man, I make it easy for you guys because I put the link to the bundles in the show notes. I mean, so quit just horsing around and buying a bottle here, a bottle there. Get the bundles, man. Stop it. Just just cut it out. Now, Char- Charles, you're about to say, our, our guest couldn't help but jump in. You got to join in. There's a lot of studies that show that wheat – uh, is linked to depression. So maybe eating thirty uh, for thirty-seven years Wheaties made him want to cut his own balls off. <laughs> no, he's married right, to the Kardashians, man. <laughs> That'll do it right there. <laughs> yeah, we 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 talked to our friend uh, Dr. Julio Garcia. Garcia last week, and we were talking. We, that came up. He's a plastic surgeon, and I, I my theory was that he spent so much time around all those Kardashian women that the estrogen surge four seven permeated his body, and then all of a sudden he decided, you know what? If I can't beat him, it's I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard about this whole desire to transform. I was like, I, I doubt this happened when he was a kid. It probably happened you know, within the last decade or so doing that reality TV show. We all know reality TV increases estrogen. You know? <laughs> and he's actually in the show. So that compounds it further. Yeah, definitely do that, man. <laughs> so, oh, man. So, 
I tell you what, man, let's get to our guests. We can finish cleaning up house at the end, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been waiting for this this re-record, you know, for the last couple of weeks now. So yeah, yeah, let's we get had some issues. It. We actually, our guest today is Charles Poliquin, best strength coach in the world, and we had him on the show last month. And Skype really? decided to upgrade the software right before the day. we started recording. <laughs> exactly. <right now>. And. <laughs> It looked like everything was recording fine, and then at the end of the episode, or actually the next day, sincere, you were looking at it, and and it was nowhere to be found. I wanted to punch my laptop in the face. You had no idea. And it was such a good conversation, but we'll make sure that that this is a great conversation as well. But Charles, it's it's really interesting because we're coming off an incredible UFC, a major upset, and you were talking about how your daughter's a big MMA fan and she wants to be the next Ronda Rousey. Maybe maybe she wants to be the, the next, next Holly Holm. This is quite an impressive, Holly. Yeah. Uh, you got to give it to Holly. She did study her opponent well. She beat her at her own game. I mean, in the sense that uh, even when she tried to take her down, she couldn't. So she studied her very well. And her kicks are very good and punches. But in the first round, I mean, uh, Rounder was really chasing her. But, right. you know, she was good to evade. I mean, it's, def- defense is part of uh, having a good offense. Yeah. Her yeah. work was incredible. Her ability to move. Was yeah. really impressive. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing people. Too. Yeah, the one thing it's I think people are leaving out is that that Holly is a boxing champion and a kickboxing champion. So out of all the twelve opponents that Ronda's had, this one right here was actually a well-rounded athlete who was also a champion herself. These other girls, they're just competing in that division. Not taking anything away from them, but they weren't on that. They weren't on that level that 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 Ronda was on as far as being an Olympian and you know being a champ for so long. These other girls were chasing after her. That's Whereas right. Holly's been there. She knows what it feels like. She knows what it takes to win a championship. And she's in a great camp as well. And to me, she she had the size advantage and she had the strength advantage. You can see that when Ronda took her down trying to roll her up, you just saw Holly clinch and just lock down. And Ronda just looked confused. Like she could not roll her up. This girl is hella yeah. strong, man. Her physique looked great. Yes. She looked really – I mean, she always looks great, but she looked really in shape yeah. in the fight. I mean, she was full six-pack, lean, strong. When you listen to her talk in interviews pre-fight, something about her confidence was very believable. Well, I think it's, that's another thing you can give to Greg Jackson. Top. She wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go in there and do this. She's just like, hey, you know, I, I respect her, and I, I believe in myself and my camp. And it, it just felt – I mean, everyone says that, right? And a lot of times we're like, yeah, you have to say that. But somehow it felt authentic when she said it. Well, that's just something yes. about Winkle John and Jackson, man. Just somebody they, – they really work on the mindset. I mean, look what they did with John Jones, you know, in the ring, you know, in the octagon. He's just – what happens outside is a totally different story, but – Well, John Jones <laughs> looks like he's been training with you, Charles, the weights he's putting up. Yeah. You know, he's, he's deadlifting 600 pounds now. Focus now. It's like, it's like out of nowhere he got into powerlifting. And he's – and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what – Though I'm not sure what they're trying to do with him. I don't know if he's trying to go up to heavyweight, or I'm not sure what the the philosophy is behind putting him on a super heavyweight training regimen right now, because that can be counterproductive too for athletes if they don't make sure to do the mobility work and so forth. You don't want to tighten up. And you, so, what do you think about that, Charles? You, with MMA athletes, do you think that powerlifting has a place within it? Yeah, as long as you don't. I mean, powerlifting will increase your you know, the power of your shots and kicks and takedowns, right. but, you know, scale to scale, and then uh, some people are very stupid and try to duplicate the scale with a, you know, a resistance. You know, you train muscles, and then you relearn to use those stronger muscles at the movement patterns, but I think it's quite beneficial. Probably not done enough, really. You right. Know, uh, you know, the, the thing with MMA fighters is... They work addicts. They work really hard, 
but sometimes you could do a bit more smarter work. You know, it, it, there's a point like where you've mastered something, and then you know, getting that punch twenty percent stronger will make a huge difference. Yeah, because being taking it and being knocked out by it. Yeah. A lot. It seems like with a lot of MMA strength and conditioning programs, they they tend to tra- uh, chase reps, right? They're doing CrossFit type workouts. There doesn't seem to be any real design. They're just working out. Yeah. So I think that's a mistake. And I think I think some of the MMA, MMA people they're working on so many different skill sets, and then they throw in several of those workouts per week. You have to wonder what the advantage is there, because now you're just dissipating energy. Yeah. Very true. Now, what's interesting about some of the things, last time we spoke, you talked about how when you're working with athletes, you look at what their neurotransmitter dominance may be, whether they're dopamine-motivated or acetylcholine. Let's get into that a little bit more. How do you distinguish the two, and then how would you design programs around that, those parameters? Well, what I do is I use a Braverman test, which is a written test. So far, no one in physiology has been able to do a neurotransmitter dominance test or neurotransmitter deficiency test using saliva, urine, or blood. I mean, I know a lot of labs that used to send me free testing kits, and it didn't turn out to be good. And Dr. Galaka and Dr. Wilner, uh, who probably are the functional medicine practitioners who've studied neurotransmitters the most, agreed that the Braverman test was still the cat's ass when you're looking at, looking at their dominance. So there are four major neurotransmitters and in the weight world you see either acetylcholine uh, dopamine or what I call earth type in Chinese medicine so they have no real dominance so when you plot their score on a curve it looks more like a circle right so back in the 70s Pluck Feather was a coach for Rigert and Alexeyev pointed out that there's three types of athletes um Volume respondent, variation respondent, or intensity respondent. So I espoused that concept very early on. For example, at two girls in speed skating, we're both uh, world champions six years in a row each. And then if you looked at the program design, you would have thought, oh, man, he's got an epiphany. He changed his program after the first girl. Well, the thing is, is that when I started to train the second girl, I realized that the first girls program didn't work at all, so I had to adapt to more of a volume-based uh, program. So it wasn't an epiphany. It was more like I just adapted it to whoever I was coaching. Right. So I've been doing that for a long time, but it'll take, it took till the uh, late 90s before I figured out that you could actually test for it uh, with simply using a Braverman test. So once I figured that one out, I started to apply that and then I found out there's a high correlation between what I observed in the gym and what the braver man uh, tested maybe it was the early 2000 but anyway uh, it's in the seminar I took with Wilner and Billica that I became familiar with the testing and then I, I um, started to apply it so it was kind of a shortcut and then I realized also there's not no such thing as very rare to fire a pure dopamine or pure still going Right. I mean, it, it could be in between the two. So last week in Toronto, I showed like the extremes and then I showed how you could take care of between the two. But, you know, in essence, if someone is earth type, which means they have no real dominance, they are volume responders. 
if they're acetylcholine um, uh, dominant, they need a lot of variation in their training. And if they're dopamine regulated, then uh, you need to play with intensity. In other words, those yeah. guys train balls to the walls all the time, but you change their program every workout. Well, it makes sense, right? Because acetylcholine people learn things quickly. They recall information quickly. So they tend that, that it makes sense that they want more variety. So they're going to get bored faster. And then the dopamine 10 people are going to be people that are chasing a reward pathway more. Correct. So, it's exactly it. You understand? And then the people who are volume based can resist boredom. That's why usually they're married, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Swimming coaches, but so if I like to sleep with a lot of women, that just reinforces my whole my whole dopamine dominance. Yes. Okay, right. yes. okay, that, well that, that's explained now. I've, I've been wondering about that for a while. <laughs> that's my excuse from now. I was like, look, I was born to dopamine dominant. What do women do? Right. Can't go against my nature. Right. Go find an acetylcholine guy. <laughs> no, but so I mean, with someone who is. More dopamine emphasis would that be lower volume, higher intensity, somewhere in the like a high intensity type protocol? No, it, well, it just depends on how you define intensity. I define okay. by the weight on the barbell. So right, right. Because you know you could have the rocky type of intensity, but yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's like, like heavier weights, lower repetitions, that kind of yeah, thing. Basically, less than eight reps. Okay, and to do very few exercises. But for example, if they're training for Let's say Adam Nelson was the epitome of um, dopamine types. He's the most metal man in the history of the world in shot put. Well, he needed to have very, very high intensity. And then the best way not to get overtrained is just to change the workout. But every workout is going to be balls to the wall. So let's say workout one, he does sets of eight on, let's say, an incline press. Then the next workout could be sets of seven using a flat dumbbell press. Right, and then right. you change the tempo, you know, and so on. So, and then what you do is you do eight workouts in a row, where you change every workout. Then you start workout nine would be workout one again, but with more weight. Okay, so that's how I train those guys. And then the acetylcholine type, I just play with volume uh, because they have a hard time recovering from volume. And the max I'll ever put them on a workout yeah, is yeah. six workouts. But there's always weekly drops in volume. You know, I had a girl who was recovering from cancer, so one workout was 80, 100% of sets, second workout was 80% of sets, workout three was only 25% of sets. And while she was recovering from cancer, a year later, she had the longest throw in the world in shot put. So she, I got her strong despite the fact she was on chemo. So, mm -hmm. but the thing is, is that we don't train computers, we train humans. So yeah, you have yeah. to, you know, the thing is, is that there's optimal volume and there's reality. So sometimes you could go balls to the walls, 10 sets of one to three reps. Next workout, you are stronger, but your work capacity is gone. So maybe you only do four sets that day. So I, but with a dopamine person, instead of getting a bad workout, I just change the exercise. So they never have bad workouts. But every, every set they'll put in through, as far as work sets, will be truly hard work. Yeah, because that means because someone who's so dopamine dominant, if they have a bad workout, that's going to be really demoralizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, they'll go postal. I mean, they <laughs> so the uh, 
I mean, that, that'll ruin their whole day, right? Like, you hear people talk about that. It's like, oh, man, I, I was so excited to work out today, and, and, and I missed my numbers. Like, my whole day is ruined. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, a good coach sets you up for success. So I have mm-hmm. a girl, for example, who, uh, in wrestling, who came in one day, and she was supposed to do power clean, but she told me how my back hurts, da, 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 da. So I said, okay, today's forearms. So we did an hour of forearms, no power clean. I said, come back tomorrow. And I treated her back, the soft tissue work. And then she came back the next day, went parkland, and she did a PB. Yeah. If mm-hmm. I had stuck to the program, she would have been probably 5 7%. Even 1% weaker is discouraging for people. They, they oh, absolutely. To- right. So I'd rather you know, wait an extra day. I mean, it's not going to make a difference when you're a year and a half at that time forward to the Rio Olympics. <laughs> but, you know, so it's it, a good coach lives in the moment you know yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, i think that's good for trainees i think that's a good take-home message for trainees because right. sometimes i'll work out with the plan and then as you're doing your warm-up sets on the deadlift you realize you know what it's not going to be there today yeah, today is not yeah. it's there it's going to be a lot harder than it should be and that can be discouraging too like if i'm used to deadlifting 500 for five easily and then all of a sudden three is difficult and maybe i can get two more but it's harder than it should be that's discouraging as well so sometimes when that happens to me, I'll stop right there and just do something completely different, like you said, and then come back, restore, Might come back. You said the most. Um, what do you call that? The most world records in the bench press, right? Mm-hmm. He used to. He has had world records 75, 82, 90, and 100 kilo weight class in the bench press. So, you know, he can't argue with that. He would go to the bench and to the room and bench press. A broomstick, huh. and then he would decide if he came back or not. So people would come, to this guy, and, back up, and then he would take a broomstick, bench it three times. Today <laughs> <laughs> he was doing ninety-five percent of world records. So the point is, is that he knew his body very well, and just by the broomstick, that that's, takes a lot of self-confidence, though. You know, to be able to say, okay, you know, and I don't think it's laziness. It's just like. What, uh, what I call good kinesthetic intelligence. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think some people make the mistake of pushing hard no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes they probably shouldn't even go to a workout. Like, you had a crappy night of sleep, you wake up really fatigued, and you're like, screw it. Let me down a few cups of coffee, I'll get in there. Just suck it up. Drink the pre-workout, and like, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, they're, they're, they're marketed to that way, though. It's, everything yeah. they see is everybody's going balls to the wall, even though it's right. only a 10 or 15 second clip. Yeah, they went balls to the wall 15 seconds while they videoed that or whatever, but they were probably <laughs> like, damn, three takes already? Come on, dude, when are we going to finish this commercial? Th- those are prop weights, too. <laughs> exactly. <they're- laughs> it's easy to squat eight plates when, when each one weighs five pounds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did a photo shoot for Iron Man magazine years ago, I think like 2003. And I forget the photographer's name, but he, I think he still does a lot of the photos for Iron Man magazine. And he was just giving me a tour of the studio. And then he's like, pick up that plate over there. And it was a 45-pound plate, and I think it weighed five pounds. And I was laughing because I didn't realize. I was just being – it's naive to, to not realize, but I didn't, I didn't realize those were prop weights in all the photo shoots you know, before this. And then it, it obviously made sense because when mm-hmm. you look at a lot of the photos, yeah. there'll be a guy squatting eight plates and the bar's not even bending. Exactly. His face is not even red. <laughs> you know? He's <laughs> smiling for the camera. I'm like, why are you smiling? What the hell, man? But I, but I think a lot of young people who are getting into working out yeah, just have these ridiculous expectations based on 
misinformation because they're looking at these magazines and these photos and they're going, oh, I guess I should be that strong. And then people just lie in those articles too. I remember oh, there, was an, there was an interview with LL Cool J at one time. And he's like, yeah, I like to do seated dumbbell presses with 120-pound dumbbells, you know, each side for a set to eight, like five sets of eight. I was like, please, man. <laughs> you, you well, honestly, a lot of times they're not even saying that. It's just like whatever whatever yeah, supplement true. company that's or whoever's sponsoring that ad or, or that interview or whatever. Because you always always wait to the end of that interview and ask, like, okay, so what do you supplement with? And then all of a sudden you have this <laughs> yeah, list of right. stuff. It's like, oh, this, 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 and this. And you're like, wait a minute. You know it's he all on the next page. Exactly. Yeah, like, you, don't, you know he doesn't use that. And then all of a sudden they have a sample workout with that supplement, you know, following the page. So. The, but, the worst was Mario Von Peebles for that movie Solo, which is a really crappy oh movie. Oh, God. You actually remember they, that? They, 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 <laughs> I remember it because I remember the alleged interview in Muscle Fitness where they asked him about his training regimen. And it was like, yeah, 315 on the bench press for five sets of 10. Okay. <laughs> okay, Posse. <laughs> and I, I, I've never met him, but I've seen him in person before right. in Santa Monica when I used to live out there. I was, he couldn't bench press 315 once to save his life. Okay. <laughs> At Gold's Gym, and Pete Grubkowski was there. <laughs> and he was doing, yeah. in his hands, three 45 pound plates, like st- stacked together. Yeah. And he was doing lateral raises. <laughs> and, like, and then he starts laughing. And I and he said, here, and I grabbed them. They weighed maybe five pounds or plus. Right, uh, right, right. right. And, then, and then he goes, go look at all the muscle and fitness articles, and you will see those three plates, because they're joined together, they look like they're really pushed tight in against the plate. Yeah. And the next day, there's an article by Tim Belknap, and he's deadlifting, I don't know, eight plates aside, but <laughs> three of those plates were fake. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get some of those prop weights. <laughs> Deadlift 700 for sets of 10. Be like, man, you know, this uh, my supplement regimen is really working now. <laughs> Different ways to bend on the bar. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You have to put enough real weight on it so there's some bend, right? <laughs> I think you have to be – if you're going to lie, you just can't lie too aggressively. So you have – instead of having like, like five real plates, right, and then one fake plate on each side, you know? <laughs> it's like you can't bend the lie too far. you got to watch a couple episodes of American Greed and be more slick about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing we were talking about last time where you were on is we were talking about how – a lot, a lot of things about testosterone are just not understood, right? Like a lot of people have always said that sex hormone binding globulin is the bad guy and you need to lower that as much as possible. But now we're finding out that sex hormone binding globulin actually attaches itself to testosterone to transport it to other areas for utilization. So it seems that this overfixation on testosterone as a measure of how anabolic you are is somewhat misplaced. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how DHEA is actually something you want to look at a little bit more. Can we get into that a little bit? Yeah, you should measure salivary DHEA sulfate. Okay. It's ratio to cortisol. Mm. And the best way to do it is to measure it actually four times a day. Now, now, why saliva versus blood testing? Because saliva is more of a measure of adrenal uh, output. Okay. And when you have DHEA sulfate is the mother of androgens. So when the problem with testosterone in the blood is it's so transient that the only way you can actually measure it accurately is every 20 minutes for two hours. So no one's going to volunteer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Stand in the chair for that long. So what 
an Austrian doctor de- determined a few years ago is that if you measure someone's DHA sulfate and uh, salivary cortisol four times a day, you do really have a, a much greater uh, uh, and more precise, sorry, right. a more precise view of your anabolic status. Right. And the, the big advantage is that if you look at this research from Slovakia that shows that not everybody makes androgens at the same time. So, you know, they used to say if you don't wake up under a TP, you're not a real male because you're not making testosterone. Well, it seems that some of the guys, you know, are, make their testosterone or all the androgens more around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So they've done studies where people train at their optimal time, so early morning or late afternoon. Yeah. And they did groups where they did the reverse, they trained at non-optimal times. And surprise, surprise, people make more gains if they train at their optimal androgen time. And they make less gains if they... So if you're a 9 o'clock person and you train at 5, you're not. You're going to be as badly catabolic as a guy that's anabolic at 5 that trains at 9 in the morning. Oh, that's real. That's really interesting. Talk mm-hmm. about precision, right? So yeah, if you understand your anabolic curve, you know whether you should work out in the morning or later in the afternoon or, or even <laughs> evening. Correct. So um, that's interesting stuff. But if you look at the ratios, you could tell uh, we had some norms we developed with the Canadian uh, athletes back in the late 80s, and the norms were 7 to 21. So 7 was basically Woody Allen or Obama, okay? Yeah. And, and 21 was Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> and then uh, you looked at, uh, we had one guy on the team that was actually 29. So, but he was, when he got out of the jail the first time, he gave a pound a day for 14 days. <laughs> you know, that, that shows a guy that's quite on the boss. His cortisol dropped because he wasn't in jail. And then, you know, his DHEA took over. Mm. But, Throughout our career, we found, for example, that guys would try out for the Bobsey team, and the only guys who made the team were guys who had ratios of 19 and above. Mm. Okay. So the point being is that how much you make in the antigens is kind of pointless unless you know what's the other side of the coin, which is the catabolic side, right? Yeah. So you could be really involved, but if you also catabolic, it kind of negates it. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing that's also interesting is that the difference in the difference in outcome with saliva versus blood test. I mean, I've done DHEA saliva tests where I was way, I mean, just super high first thing in the morning, and then I've done blood tests on DHEA where I'm just in the middle. Yeah. So it seems that for adrenal hormones, it makes more sense to do saliva testing. Does it make more sense? Period, though, even for measuring testosterone. Yeah, but the point is, uh, Mike, is that your adrenal status is an indication of your overall stress. Right. So I don't really give a rat's ass about any blood values. Okay. If your adrenals are not healthy, they call it the 3F uh, principle. So we used to say flight or fight. Yeah. It's actually fuck, flight, or fight. H.D. <laughs> 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 sulfate is an indication of, um, uh, of also your sex drive. Right, and right. if you don't, let's say if you're the alpha gorilla and you beat the crap of all the other gorillas in, in your uh, herd, you're the only one that's fucking the females. So your DHA sulfate will be high. 
Yeah. Meaning that if you're the alpha male, you don't have to fight anymore, so your stress levels are quite low. Right, if you're right. alpha male, you know, you're not getting laid and you get beat up, so your course <laughs> is low. So the, yeah. uh, one of the best ways, I think, to understand all this is actually Robert Sapolsky's book, A Private's Memoir. He explains all that very well with baboons, and it's a very hilarious book. I was book. just about to bring that up. I read that book, and I saw a, a, a National Geographic special on that, right? It was the baboons in Africa that they did studies on. And yeah. I think it was it was all the alpha males who had the highest levels were just bullies to the rest of them. And then they ate some tainted meat and died. And then all of a sudden, all of the oppressed baboons were much happier. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like they had way less stress. Their blood pressure was better. Their stress <laughs> levels were lower. Their cortisol was lower. And well, then, yeah, there's studies done on successful businessmen versus unsuccessful businessmen. Right. And when a guy gets a big check, you know, from some deal, his testosterone goes up. Yeah. So, or even yeah. hockey fans, they've shown that if you're at Madison Square Garden and your team won, you came out, your testosterone is high, and the losers have lower testosterone. So success. No that's why it's also so important to plan for success yes. in training because that's going to put you more anabolic, right? No, it's true. It's like if you're successful in your personal life, you're going to get better workouts and vice versa as well. Exactly. That, that's something I try to emphasize so much. You know, we talk about that's one of the themes on the show that's reoccurring is that if you're just if you're some guy who's got some job you hate and you got some real bitch for a wife or girlfriend and you're just this pinball in life and then you try to make up for it by putting in some hard workouts, you're really missing the the, the right. whole ball here, man. You're you're really missing the whole purpose because right. my workouts have never been better. I mean, my workouts got so much better when. I got laid off from a job I hated. I got into a business that I was really passionate about and got my personal life together. It's like everything improved altogether. Exactly. So, I mean, that's something that people want to – I think that's a take-home message I really want people to, to take heed of is that if you want to improve your training results, improve your personal life, and then use your training results as a motivator to improve your personal life. I mean, if you can take charge of your fitness – then what else can you take charge of? Exactly. Otherwise, it's, it's going to become a drug. It's going to be like anyone that's addicted to drugs. You get high, but when you come off that high, you got to deal with life again. So what do you do? You go right. get high again. So that's right. why you have these people that can't get out of the gym. It's like, oh, I have to go to the gym. Yeah, because you got to go home and deal with that nagging wife of yours. I'd stay in the gym too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully you run into a good divorce lawyer while you're there, man. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> no, I remember Jeez. I've talked to people before. It goes, man, if it wasn't for my my training regimen, I wouldn't be able to get through my day. <laughs> that sucks. I was like, uh, you need to quit working out in the you know? <laughs> The best advice I can give you is to stop working out so that you have more energy to take charge of your life. <laughs> now, now, with cortisol, Charles, remember back in the day where all these cortisol blocker supplements were coming out and they would say, take it an hour before you work out? That's it was the worst advice ever, wasn't it? Because I remember I took 800 milligrams of phosphatidylserine before training, and anytime I did that, it was a terrible workout. And then, exactly. it turned, then I remember reading your information. You go take it after you work out you know, to lower excess cortisol. You don't take it before you work out. You need cortisol for good workouts. Well, actually, there's very good research out of Scandinavia that shows that cortisol is your best friend while you train. Mm. So they, what they've shown is the guys who can produce the most cortisol during workouts are the guys who actually have the greatest long-term gains. Conversely... The ones who could lower cortisol past the workout as well are the ones that make also uh, much better gains. So the key is have a lot of cortisol while you train and then block it off 
uh, once you're done, once the message is sent, it's like ringing a doorbell. Ringing it ten times doesn't make a difference, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The cortisol, but then the only way to get the message across is to open the door and receive the packages, and that's when you want to drop your, your, your cortisol. Seems that if you finish your workout at the optimal time, your cortisol should start dissipating anyway, right? Because you just utilized it, you worked it out. Just like a lot of people like to use training as somewhat of an antidepressant or as a stress relief. You know, because yeah. you always feel better after working out, right? Like yesterday, I was I was doing a lot of business stuff, and I was I didn't have anxiety, but I was just kind of in this amped up state. So then I just did 15 all out sprints, felt great afterwards, just worked out all that nervous energy. Yeah, there's such a thing as burning cortisol, so. That's why they find that during economic crises, business leaders tend to work out more. Mm. <laughs> so one thing I know, you know, I don't have scientific studies, but I got plenty of, of in the trenches evidence is that anytime there's been an economic crisis, the most skilled personal trainers or strength coaches make more money. What happens is that the business leaders, the guys who have money, say, screw that, you know, the market's terrible, blah, 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 it's not time to good deal. I'm going to start concentrating myself. And it is actually the average gyms that take the greatest beating. So I've had a lot of students, you know, when I say, oh, Christ, we're going through it. So 20, 24 hour fitness takes a big hit. Yeah, I can honestly, I can admit, I can admit during that time, let's just say when the so-called, I had to say so-called because it really didn't feel it here in Houston in 2008, 2009, I didn't even realize there was a financial crisis going on that year. And, and I had, I, I don't think I, there was, it's existential. Yeah, exactly. And I can show the books because actually at that point, cause I had just started my business probably about five years before that, that was the time when things really started picking up for me. And I'm talking like that my classes were packed. So I was sitting there thinking like, okay, obviously people here weren't taking the economic hit because I had a lot of people signing up and for training at that time. So it just, that year was very oblivious to me when there, when people even talk about it now, like, oh, the financial hit of 2008, 2009. I'm like, okay, where was I? <laughs> because I, I didn't take that hit. But so now I can, I can attest to what Charles is saying. It just seemed like even more people were training at that time. Well, I think economic <laughs> hit is relative to you, right? Like Americans get mm-hmm. an economic hit. <laughs> For most Americans, it means that you have to prioritize your expenditures. Right, now, right. It doesn't right. mean you're living on the streets or, or that you haven't eaten exactly. in a week. Or you're in a soup kitchen or something like that. You know. Yeah, you take an economic hit in Rwanda. <laughs> <laughs> that means you went from your one bowl of ugali per day to once a month now. Right, you know, right. All of a sudden, that, that wealth that's a mile away is gone. Now you have to walk four miles to get fresh water. Right. So, so it's really all relative. I think anytime there's an, an economic retraction, it gets – Smart people, at least, to prioritize. Right. And be like, okay, what can I cut out? That what, what are all the non-essentials? All the stuff that I'm just wasting money and time on. Right. And then, and then, like Charles said, how do you work on yourself now? Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think a fitness business is actually a good business to be in, regardless of whether the economy is great or not, because fitness is one of the things people start prior, like smart people anyway, start prioritizing their health. And I also think that really successful people, especially I – th- I think things are changing now where you have really successful businessmen and women who do work out hard. But that, but that's a new behavior, right? Like my mm-hmm. grandfather's age, nobody worked out then. And he was a very successful businessman. He wasn't a, a physical fitness guy, and mm-hmm. most of his peers weren't either. So, so, so what happens though is that the generation after his, let's say my father's, these people worked out – I mean these people worked really hard. Their physical fitness went down the drain. 
And now they're lining up at anti-aging offices and so forth because they have the money to spend to try to get their health back. And they're living longer, so they, they have to do a little bit more maintenance now, the way things right. are going now, compared to you know the generation before them and the one before that. So. Right. So, so now maybe investment bankers are taking testosterone shots instead of snorting cocaine. Awesome <laughs> 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 strippers at, at Morgan Stanley. <laughs> 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 now, the, one thing I'm curious about, Charles, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what your response will be, is but how, how bad is alcohol for anabolism, for health in general? Well, one of the things that has to do with genetics, some people are better alcohol responders than others. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that there's a difference between moderation and, of course, abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not every genotype can tolerate even alcohol in small quantities, okay? So I think it's something people should experiment with. You know, alcohol moderation being one to two glasses of wine a day. And in some subjects, it actually increases their testosterone hmm. because it drops hmm. your cortisol. I heard with women, testosterone tends to go up with alcohol consumption, and that with men, estrogen tends to go up, which probably explains why guys start telling each other how much they love each other. And, you know, Over beer. And crying. Crying. You're always there for me, man. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that uh, it also depends on the type of alcohol. I mean, beer is mm-hmm. estrogenic. Yeah, absolutely. Vodka? And wine is not. So, I mean, that could be – but for example, getting smashed – uh, with alcohol tends to suppress testosterone for five days. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So those guys, I mean, that was shown in peer-reviewed studies. Uh, the, most of the research has been done in Finland because they've got an alcoholism problem. Yeah, but what yeah. they found is that getting smashed on a Friday night low suppressed testosterone to basically castrated levels for five days. Mm. So guys get jacked in the gym, you know, they want to get all pumped up for Friday night and then they get drunk. Well, they wasted all their efforts. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, what about what about marijuana? Marijuana is far more severe. Really? Okay. Yeah. Marijuana is like the studies I've seen. One joint is 24 hours a week of smoking a joint a day suppresses testosterone for a month. A month suppresses acid for six months. So it seems like uh, it it actually compounds. You know. So one to one ratio, then one to four ratio, then uh, one to six ratio, depending on how long you've been on it. So I would say, you know, if you want to be very uh, good at recovering, uh, marijuana is a no-no for sure. Plus, it's estrogenic, you know. Right. So, so I mean, so if you go on Joe Rogan's podcast, Charles, make sure to request that he smoke a joint after you leave, <laughs> not, not while you're in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, here to Dana White in Nevada. In the coalition, whatever. Nick Diaz is not a threat. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not. It's not a performing answer. Come on, we should people. be more impressed. Exactly. That. that means Nick was fighting with high estrogen levels, and he was high. Very <laughs> he impressive. Was still winning fights, man, man. We should be. We should be even more impressed. <laughs> now, what, what about what about selective androgen receptor modulators? Have you looked into those at all? SARMs. Have you done any research? I've not done any research on it because. At the time, the the um, raw material was prohibitive. Yeah, they still are. It's, they're all on the water list. Yeah. And the other thing was is that there's been 
I don't know you're really getting a SARM. I mean, there's a famous case yeah, that's now right. in the media about a kid that was on so-called SARM, and he tested for metabolites of testosterone. So obviously he wasn't injecting a SARM. So it's something I wouldn't screw with because the odds of, of having a positive control is too high. Right, um, right. I mean, the potential is good. I mean, there's a lot of products on the market. They're not SARMs, but they use those uh, specific modulators, kinase, for example, for the treatment of diabetes or osteoporosis. But those are made by medical um, type of uh, supplements, like metagenics. Yeah. And I've seen very good results on restoring cartilage and stuff. But uh, they have not put to market the SARM for uh, muscle mass. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of a gray area classification right now. So mm. it's so it's like as you said, it's hard to find a legitimate source mm. because they're not really sub. The, the companies that are selling it aren't necessarily the supplements in general are not necessarily subject to any regulation. But let's say you want to have a supplement made and you use an FDA approved lab. You know, it's going to go through a certificate of analysis. There's going to be some procedures there to determine that what you say is in the label is actually in the label. But with but but those those kind of places won't touch SARMs because they're not they're not classified as nutrition supplements right now. So basically, if you wanted to sell SARMs, you would have to hire a couple guys to put the caps together in your garage or something along those lines. And you know maybe if you're a legit person, it's going to be a legit product. But for the consumer, it's it's a bit of a betting game. Maybe you're getting it, maybe you're not. Yeah, because I had a female student from Poland send me pre and post pictures of herself. Yeah. On a SARM, I was like, well, if it's a SARM, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I don't think it's a SARM. <laughs> so you can see, she had virilization issues in the face. So, uh, yeah, and she didn't, it, 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 it wasn't a SARM then because, so yeah, SARMs don't work that way. I, I've, I've played around with Osterin and Carterin, and, and I do like both. And so I'm, I, SARMs1.com is, I mean, I, Again, I'm just taking I'm taking the chance here that this is legitimate. For all I know, just based on what you said, Charles. For all I know, I just took liquid testosterone, but I didn't feel that. You know, I didn't feel like any big increase in testosterone or any side effects that you would get with any kind of HRT, TRT. But uh, the, the Carterin I found is very good for increasing endurance. That that was highly okay. noticeable. I mean, it was undeniable. Like with just the the ability to sprint harder and recover in between sets was undeniable. And also the ability where less carbohydrates were being stored as body fat. You know, I was eating more carbohydrates, but I was getting leaner. Uh, more the carbohydrates were going to, to muscles, the theory with Carterin. The, the Austrian I tried for a little while because I've had some issues with my left arm, some uh, osteoarthritis there. And I, I, I did find it alleviated to, to some extent. And, and an increase in, in strength was noticeable and, and an increase in size as well. So I think there's something to SARMs. I think they're an interesting category. It's something I'm going to keep tabs on. I was just curious. I, I figured with someone like you, you can't have your athletes use it for obvious reasons. They're, they're water banned substances. Yeah, plus, I mean, even if they were not water banned, the pr problem is just like – Who's going to test it? They're real, so I don't. That's the other thing, exactly. You would have to test it personally, and that's a very expensive process, you know, for an individual to do. So that just is just not worth the trouble. No. Now, what about what about recovery methods? Have you tried things such as cryotherapy with your athletes? I think it slows chambers? down recovery. Okay. Hmm. I find it counterproductive. Hmm. I think the things that work best is guasha. You know the. 
Chinese tool for soft tissue. Okay. Acupuncture, if, you, if the practitioner is good, you'll know how to use the yin points to calm you down. Um, the uh, raw thing is pretty good. ART is pretty good. I mean, the problem with all these things is that the limiting factor in most cases is actually the body repairs itself too well. So there's too much scar tissue in the muscle for, to allow it for growth. So I find that if you can find a good uh, soft tissue practitioner, it'll make a huge difference. The, For example, in Rolfing, you know, let's say if you've done years of martial arts or wrestling, your neck will be all bound up with a lot of scar tissue, which reduces the intervertebral space. So you see a good rolfer, and they basically, quote, unquote, lengthen your neck, you know, the, the structures that control your neck, and suddenly all your upper body glyphs have gone up. So, mm. you know, but as far as recovery, I think the, the key is to suppress cortisol right after workouts. There's a lot of ways you could do that. But another thing that people don't really look at is feeding the brain properly. Yeah. Yeah. Once you feed the brain properly, then you could lift heavier weights. Therefore, you could activate better, so you could produce more cortisol. And then, probably the most neglected factor is actually adrenal health. Right. So, so you know, like I said, it's a fight, fuck, or flight thing. So, if you have <laughs> healthy adrenals, you can. You're not flying. You're not fighting. So. You're more in a fucking mood, as I would say, which is more anabolic. Right, 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 absolutely. Now, with feeding the brain, you're talking about nourishing the major neurotransmitters, eating in a way where each one is nourished, GABA, serotonin, acetylcholine, dopamine. Addressing your deficiency, because you could be dopamine dominant, and let's say serotonin deficient, and because you're serotonin deficient, you don't sleep well, because you don't sleep well, you don't recover, because you don't recover, you don't have drive in your workouts, blah, 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 so... So someone who's serotonin deficient would taking something such as 5-HTP before bedtime or higher doses of magnesium? Something like that. I mean, yeah. for example, but there's a huge biomechanical in the duality. What I found was people tend to be dopamine dependent actually counter-react to 5-HTP. They sleep like for one hour and then they wake up very aggressive. Uh, so I prefer to use straight tryptophan. Uh, for some reason, facilitating conversion doesn't work at certain genotypes. Some of my athletes think that 5-HTP is the best thing ever discovered, and I've some that hate it. So I people, I only give them a, a tablet to try out and ask them, tell me tomorrow if it worked or not. And you'll know within one day if it works for you or not. Like for me, if I wanted to go to a shopping mall and kill 75 people with my bare hands, I would take a nap with a 5-HTP before. But make sure you take notes on that one, folks. It's all about biochemical injudality. For example, there's an anti-allergy pill called Gamatap. Yeah. I have you know seven siblings, and one day the college we were discussing, and I said, you know what, the Gamatap, uh, I reacted. It makes me super aggressive. And my sister says, oh, I called the pill to slap people in the face. <laughs> you mean? She goes, oh, if I want to slap people in the face for a living, that's what I would take. One of my brothers is like, you two, like you, all three of us, obviously you're working with the same genetic background, Yeah. found that Dimetap made us extremely <laughs> irritable. Hmm. So I don't know what's in it that, you know, 
what, what the chemical structure is, but it's certainly, you know, my favorite mass murder pill. You know. <laughs> now, would that irritability be beneficial for a good workout or counterproductive? That's what probably this embarrassing to carry a tablet in my jeans. So in case there's another ISIS attack, I'll take one of those pills and kill the guys with their bare hands. But yeah. I, I got a fact acting on. But the, the thing is, is that uh, I've been just a long time from Marlon Pasquale. You know, our, our chemistry is as individual as our fingerprints. So, you know, the, it's, I think that that's something that's neglected. You know, some some stuff works, something doesn't. I mean, that's why you got to play with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything. Some one thing that works extremely well for someone else, you think you're going to duplicate the same results, and it has the complete opposite. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know until you try different paradigms, or different protocols. Like one day I went pagan, and the next day I went to vote for Hillary Clinton. So I knew there was something wrong with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, that well, hey, at least you didn't try to vote for Bernie probably, Sanders afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it, could have, it could have been worse. You know? Yeah, but the point is, is that. You know, I come from a native background, so being a vegan is exactly is not exactly my genes. So, yeah. you know, the, I, I've tried for about two years where I do a one day a week. I thought that was pretty good, uh-huh. but uh, now with my traveling schedule, it's kind of impossible. But the um, the I think that you know, Dave Tate gave a good lecture on that, and John Meadows also kind of reinforced that thing. At the end of the day, it's what works for you. Right, right. Well, I mean, re- results re- is always what speaks, right? So it's like yeah. some, someone will tell me, like, oh, that diet doesn't work, and I've been doing a vegan diet for over 20 years, and I'm still getting stronger. So you can't you can't thrive for 20 years. No. You, you can't do something for 20 years and, and and sustain it, you know, if you feel like crap the whole time. At least I can't. You know, some people feel like crap every day for their whole lives, so I guess you can't. Some people. But you're not going to perform at it. You're not going to perform at a high level or improve. Exactly. You know, doing something that's not optimal for you. Exactly. And, and then the thing is, is that, for example, one of my best hockey players lived on a diet of only 10% protein, 70% carbs, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Actually, ten percent fat, twenty percent protein, seventy percent carbs. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know, out of the sixty-six I trained that year, it was the only one where he saw improvements on that. So when I did put him on a high protein diet, he went backwards. Just okay, let's do the opposite. So I went to high carbs, and then I said, actually, the problem with you is fat. So we dropped his fats down, and he became the least injured player in the league. You know, they call the Iron Man Trophy. Hmm. And he used to have an history of uh, injuries, so for him that's what worked best. Yeah, I don't mess with the system. You know, if you do the world average, the average carbohydrate intake in the world should be forty percent. Right. But, but some people do well on seventy. Some people do well on two percent. So you can't take the average and say, well, everybody should be that. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I find I do well with at least forty percent from fat in my diet. Anytime I do, anytime I do low fat, I feel terrible. I feel weak in the gym. Everything feels heavy. If I have optimal levels of fat, I feel great. Skin looks better. The workouts feel great. Everything feels strong all day. There you go. And some people they they won't do well with that much fat in the diet. So I, I think that's one thing that people hate to hear because they want they want someone, especially someone like you, who's so well respected, to say, oh yeah, just do this. Yeah, just validate what they're do doing. Not have yeah. to think about it. I mean, I was explaining last weekend that even though if I know your dopamine or your acetylcholine or or um, non-dominant, I always put 
all my athletes through basically an eight week tolerance test. Yeah. And they get these different programs and I see how much it takes to break them down. And then I know what their set off point is. You know, I don't tell them that before I give them a program, but I look at all the, the weights go up or down. And yeah. I say, okay, you need to change that often or because there's, it's a fine tuning. And also, you know, there's a Buddhist saying, you don't step ever twice in the same river. So the river changes all the time. So, right. so what was, was it, what was a great method? Three years ago, probably won't do anything for you this, this year. Right, that's definitely true. Yeah, like, he's going to bring it up. The way, the way I trained when I was 25 is not going to work now. I mean, even the way I eat is different. That's yeah. constantly constantly modifying things, constantly right. playing around with stuff. Well, what what have you found that you've had to do with your own workouts? Right, I think you're 54 now, Charles. Yes. So I mean, let, let's say just looking at your own work, just the way you train yourself. What what are some of the major things that have had to change for like since you were 35? Let's say. Well, when I was 35, I used to train twice a day. That's probably when I was in Vegas. I weighed 214 at 5'7". Yeah, that's big. Yeah, but now I weigh about 187, 192. But okay. I can't recover from twice a day anymore. Right, right. So, and the thing is that... Oh, but when, it, when it was twice a day, were, was it the same body parts twice a day? Or you were yes, doing, okay. workouts, right? Okay. And so I trained at that time three to four days out of five. You know, And then it took me a while to, to get to that work capacity, right? Took me about eight years to be able to do, excuse me, all all that work. But the point is, is that I find now that I travel so much that my periodization is country based. So, you know, as I said, I like to always have good workouts. So I have my Melbourne workouts, I got my Sydney workouts, I got my Italian workouts, and they're all on my computer. And then when I visit Talon six months from now, well, I'll try to do the Talon workout with more weight. You know. Yeah. And then, because I think that oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So I periodize it that way. It's not very scientific, but the point is, is that I'm happy training, you know. And then the thing is, is that when you're younger, like you get this, you fit. I'm um, benching, but I think I'm five pounds less because it's not the same bench. Fuck that. I just <laughs> this, it's the same bench <laughs> than it was last six months. So I just compare those weights with those weights. So yeah, that's that. And then. Yeah, the, the good thing is I have a lot of students all over the world who have great gyms. They got the fat dumbbells from Watson. They got Lico bars, plates, Atlantis, whatever. So it's easier and easier for me to have a good workout. It's rare that I go to a city where it's hard for me to find a gym. The best way to find a good gym is you ask local street cop, where do the criminals train? <laughs> train. Seriously, I... I you know, I was in Denmark, and I said, where did the criminals train? And the guy said, like, like the Els Angels? I said, yes. He goes, it's this gym. So I went there, and it was the best gym for so far that I've seen in Copenhagen, right? <laughs> so then if I'm in Sweden, I go, okay, where are the criminals going? I said, go to this gym. And I went there. Uh, last time I was in Stockholm, it was the best gym I saw in Sweden. I mean, it was really old equipment, which I don't mind, uh, but it was, like, a very good hardcore gym. And you go to Montreal, there's a gym every three doors. So the gym market is very competitive in Montreal, but then again, you go where the criminal stream yeah. this is the best gym. And I mean, if you're looking for a public gym, obviously my students don't attempt to cater to the criminals that much. But <laughs> if you, let's say, go to Moscow and you look for a gym, just ask a local cop. I think every gym there will be where a criminal <laughs> <gym. laughs> 
I think I think the, the the Russian mafia is the largest employer. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just don't really see a big market for 24-hour fitness over in Moscow. <laughs> and all the selfie stations that Charles talked about last time. It's like Russian mafia is the number one employer, and then network marketing companies are, are number two and three, which is also somewhat of a criminal organization. <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> I went to a gym in London, which shall remain nameless, but I was there one my employees and the first question they asked us is if we were cops and it out the guy well it wasn't spartan jim was it <laughs> i went in there and then, so i gave the uh employee a lifetime membership that the owner gave me yeah and then he let me in but it, it's kind of funny because uh you could tell it was something out of the josh Bryan book like jailhouse strong like, you could tell all these but you know what I prefer to train in a gym like that than a gym where they have actually official selfie stations. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. The, the thing that's good about these gyms, no one takes a selfie in case it takes a picture in the background of somebody that's unprovoked. It's incriminating. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get your butt kicked in there you try to take a selfie. That's right. It's like, so, it's, like, it's like, hey, I don't want anyone to know I'm in here. I got five warrants out for me right now. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know what? I've been to a lot of them, and I never had any problem. I find that those gyms, people are far more polite. They put their stuff away, you know. Well, you, you don't have anyone in there that has anything to prove necessarily, right? Like yeah. I think on uh, Joe Rogan's latest podcast, he, he and Dana White were talking – I think it was the, Rogan's podcast, but they were basically saying the the safest place to be is with a room full of fighters because yeah. you know, they don't have anything to prove to each other. That's right. That's right. But the – I mean I remember training this gym in Montreal – and I was the only guy without a criminal record, and I used to get get teased about it every day. <laughs> it's like when you go it's commit like a crime, Charles. I thought the only guy could read too, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not that. That's not going to get you any brownie points in the can, I don't think. <laughs> it's like, well, I have a PhD in philosophy, really. Okay. <laughs> we'll be at your cell a little later today. <laughs> 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 you can read me a bedtime story later, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. Here's something interesting. Is it – I mean your, your training programs are so effective. Is it possible to work with an athlete where you get them too big too soon where it actually takes away from their athleticism now, meaning that they, they just put on muscle too fast where it just changed their body mechanics? Nothing that can't be fixed in three weeks. Okay. So that's not really a problem to worry about. That's something. No, no. How, how how would you how would you fix that? You just do more mobility work. What would you do with someone in that case? Uh, what happens is that freaks will will freak you out in the first few weeks. Yeah. So I had a guy, for example, who drank a case of beer a day, right? <laughs> and he was very very muscular, and then. I gave him three grams of tyrosine, three grams of D-alphylalanine on an empty stomach, which basically uh, cuts their cravings from alcohol. They actually find mm. alcohol distasteful. And I told him it was, a, it was for his thyroid. And the guy, he's the guy I've seen grow the fastest. Uh, I think he put something like 25 pounds of muscle in 28 days. Wow. But the thing is, is that it isn't because the program is magical. It's the guy who, was highly anabolic, despite he was drinking 24 beers a day, you remove all that alcohol from his body, 
I mean, he's an outlier in my career. He's the only guy, you know. Of course, people will misquote me on that. I don't. I didn't do it every day of the week in my life. It's the only guy I could think of. But there was. Uh, I was talking to a NCAA coach who had a player, a basketball player, and he got he tested positive on marijuana too often. So the coach said to him, and he, he came from a criminal environment, and the coach said to him, "You have two choices." I kick you and you can go play for another team or you can I'll put you in drug rehab and his mom was a crack addict blah 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 so the guy to his credit said I'm going to go in rehab so the strength coach did a body count on him and he said okay well he's going to atrophy so all this guy could do was eat and sleep so he went cold turkey went to drug rehab blah 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 And when he came out, he was 18 pounds of muscles bigger. And he didn't do any exercise. <laughs> But the fact that he ate three times a day and did not suppress his testosterone made him grow that much. Yeah. And then he had an epiphany when he came out. And now he's probably going to go out in the draft, probably in the first round. Okay? Wow. So the, the point is, is that changing someone's lifestyle can make them anabolic. I mean, I... In that case of a hockey player, I'm not going to take credit for that 25 pounds of muscle from my training. It's from getting stopped drinking alcohol. That's what makes me think of someone like John Jones, how scary he's going to be when he comes back because he was dominating the highest level of competition and he was doing cocaine and he was drinking and he was partying. He was doing everything wrong in his personal life. And now it looks like he's cleaned up his act. And let's say he sustains this moving forward. He's on an intense training regimen. He's really working on his strength and conditioning. He looks like he has some serious ferocity to get back into the cage. Yeah. It's going to be amazing to see what he does now. Correct. I mean, I can't <laughs> wait to see him fight like Daniel Corby. I can't wait. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, like if Daniel Smart, he's going to try to delay that fight for as long as possible. Like, he's going to do an Aldo, man. It's like, okay, my bruise my rib, man. I can't do this fight right now. <laughs> I need another six months. <laughs> I mean, already he's like, yeah, I don't want to fight him until next year because I had a couple of tough fights, which he did. You know, the one right. with, with Gustafson Gustav, was tough. Yeah. But I think in the back of his mind, he's like, once that fight happens, I'm going to lose. And then there <laughs> goes my light heavyweight championship. <laughs> Now, speaking of UFC fighters, I know you did a little bit of work with George St. Pierre recently, right? You were, 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 I forget the context. Were you going through a workout with him or you were working with your mentor and him at the same time? No, what happened is that my... A striking coach is a striking coach. Mm. So I was That's right. in the same gym, and then he knew what I was. We started to chat, and then he's a workout fanatic. Yeah. So he said, what about this? What about that? So I just showed him a few things, and he was kind enough to po post those uh, on his site. you know. And then um, he's a very interesting guy to talk to. He's very... Very cerebral, yeah. Uh, he's very kinesthetic. I mean... You know, I showed him a few things, and, for example, I showed him how to train for a one-arm chin, and recently he sent me a video, and he's getting pretty close. Wow. And from what I saw from the start, you know, he's a guy that's uh, very dedicated to his condition. Obviously, now he's making money with his movies and stuff. Right. So why fight if he can uh, uh, lower risk, make that much more money doing Captain America, you know? I think he's testing. Like he's going to do a test training camp to see whether he wants to fight again. 
is what he's doing right now. So he's going to put himself through six weeks as if he had an opponent to test the waters. So I think that's interesting. I mean, personally, I mean, I'm not some expert on this whole thing, but I, I would like to see him not fight again because I feel <laughs> like he left on top. You know, he barely right. got that win against Johnny Hendricks. He still looks good. He's still a young guy, good-looking guy, very uh, charismatic. So he can he's very marketable, right? So he can take all those skill sets somewhere else and sustain that for a long period of time, as opposed to come back in and maybe get his clock cleaned, right? Maybe get his <clears throat> clock cleaned a few times and then finally realize, forget it, you know, I'm done. Because I, it, it was always depressing to see someone like a Chuck Liddell who just stuck around a little bit too long, where he just he got knocked out four times in a row and then finally like Dana White had to retire. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> it. You, know, you got you got knocked out by Rich Franklin, who doesn't knock out anybody. <laughs> he just touched your chin. Exactly. He's <laughs> like, no more. <laughs> People don't realize how demanding those fights are. I mean, the amount of stress, the amount of pressure, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, no doubt. But, you know, I, I can't blame the guy for wanting to do it once more. Oh, but sure. also, I wouldn't blame him for saying no thank you either. So. Yeah. Well, was there anything that just really impressed you about him, like his physical abilities, like something you showed him maybe, and you're like, man, he just picked that up fast, or he's just really good at yeah. it? Yeah, you know, it's one of these guys you show him once, and um, plus, I mean, I've coached for a long time, so I know what type of cue, he's a very kinesthetic guy, Right. so instead of giving him intellectual clues, it's more like, feel the pressure here, feel the pressure there, ah. uh, he's, um, he, uh, He's very impressive about all the, you know, it's one of these guys I wish we had connected 20 years ago, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. because I remember seeing some of his first fights, they're going, shit, if he had a stronger lower back, he would get in faster. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> what I was going to ask you. Like, when you watch fights, do you think of stuff like that? You're like, oh, man, this guy needs to work on this. Or like, man, if he did that. Yeah, uh, all the time. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that I can't shut my brain off. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> You know, and then, uh, like when I was in Cuba with the female wrestlers, you know, th- these girls, all three of them won their gold medal, but within two minutes, each one of them came to see me to ask for feedback. And when I explained to them what I saw in the fight, you know, they never argued with me. They said, yeah, that makes sense. You know, for example, Yelena had a weak grip. I said, you know, when you fought the German, she was doing this, and then you compensated by this, or if. Like, for example, Elena Rulis is the current world champion. Back when I was in Cuba, which is March, I said, you know what? If you don't work on your lower back, you'll get into big trouble. So she specialized on lower back. And, you know, she hasn't lost a fight since January since I took over her strength training. But she told me after she won the Worlds that, that all that extra lower back work made, make, made her uh, last those 10 months of training uh, without any injuries. Lower back work, as in deadlifts, uh, glute ham raise, back extensions, all the above. Reverse hyper, okay. Yeah. But near the competition, we did a lot of uh, clean pulls from a static start. Okay. To duplicate being in a crotch position and lunging for for um, um, a takedown, we also do these what I call telemark squats from inertia to develop the, you know, and then if you use, of course, your elastic energy by bending the elbow bed, by bending the lower back forward, you, that stored elastic energy will also help. But if you're strong from a dead stop, once you use elastic energy, it's even easier. Yeah. 
that that's just another level of personalization. And that, now back to those those wrestlers in Cuba. That shows you a real championship mindset. Where after they win the gold medal, they're coming to you and ask for advice on how to improve. <laughs> you know, that's that's amazing right there. Most would be out celebrating. They're like, okay, I won the gold medal, but what could I have done better? Exactly. They came to see me and say, listen, you know, what do you think? And one girl said, well. You got to work on your endurance a bit. And the other one that said you need to work on your grip, and the other one that said you need to work on your uh, lower back strength. And and they applied themselves. But when they came back to the gym, once I, I fixed the goals for them, they're like Yahoo, you know, I'm gonna you know do something that's gonna work for me. Not the other stuff didn't work, but it's better if they can translate the effort. Like okay, because I said okay, the work you've done so far has helped you with this. Like for example, Yelena was able to lock. That German girl, and the German girl was surprised she couldn't handle the fact that she was locked in uh, by you. So the let's say, okay, this is good, but because of hard work, you never reward performance. Is it because of hard work? And now we need to work hard on this, and then they're all for it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Is there yeah. is there anything you saw in that Holly Holm Ronda fight, right? Where you were like speak? Let's speak. Speaking of Ronda, is there anything you saw in her performance where you're going, huh? You know, she needs to work on this. Actually, she's too weak, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I know she said public comments that she didn't lift weights. I don't know if that's true or not. But he typically, you know, you saw when she tried to lock her in for throws, uh, Holly was able to basically overcome her. Right. And, you know, I don't, if... Let's say if their camp hired me, I would say, okay, let's test your maximal strength levels. We don't, you don't need to go to max if you go to three RM. And I would say, okay, I can get you this by four months. Why don't you work on that? It's very easy to maintain once you get it. And yeah. See you do because you know she even tried to put into lock positions and then she couldn't do it. You know. Yeah. And, and sometimes, especially when you look at isometric contraction, well, one percent can make the difference between locking the joint and not locking the joint. So, you know, if you gain 30%, uh, that would do a lot for her. But then again, if I was on the Owens camp, I would work on her strength. I mean, my daughter said, you know, I want legs like Holly Holm. Yeah, 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 she's got great legs. Yeah, so, it, you know, but you could tell she was much harder as far as, like, condition than no doubt. than um, Rhonda. I mean, I well, still, well, if you looked at her workouts in the in the behind the scenes footage, she's doing sprints with her coach in the desert mm-hmm. in Albuquerque. She's doing they all lift weights over there at Winkle Johns. I don't know what kind of regimen. I know John Jones is doing powerlifting kind of stuff. I don't know if that's standard. But you know, Mark Phillippe worked with a lot of MMA fighters here in Vegas, and he told me many times that he was surprised how weak they were. Yeah, it's just across the board. He goes, they're not strong at all. They said that they have a very basic level, and then. You look at someone like Matt Brown, who we've had on the show a few times, and he, once he started working with Louis Simmons over at Westside, he said it was night and day. He got so much stronger, and then it just allowed him to have much better performances. So I think I think sometimes in the MMA community they diminish the importance of strength and conditioning. Right? They say, "Well, it's like, oh, it's a waste of time to focus on being strong. You just got to work on your technique and all that." And no doubt, you have to work on technique. I mean, that's obviously paramount. But at the same time, very, very good strength and conditioning is another skill set. That's another part of your arsenal. The, the thing is, is that 
working in technique, okay, how much more is your job going to improve? Right, right. From doing 2,000 more jobs. No. <laughs> right, right. So let's say if you put in four hours a week in the weight room, well, if the force production, once you make contact, is 20% harder than it used to be, well, the guy's brain is going to rattle, you know, a bit more, so you're more likely to... Well, they always say that it's that, that it's dangerous for fighters to take steroids because now they have the ability to kill somebody with the additional strength, right? But what if what if someone what if some of these guys started working with you? Now would that be an unfair advantage as well? Because <laughs> a lot of them don't work with the strength coach at your caliber or even close. So they start working with you and now they're way stronger as a result of working with you, not taking mm-hmm. anabolics. Yeah. It's like, well, we can't have fighters train with Poliquin anymore. It's an unfair advantage, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a performance handsome coach right there. Come on, man. Yeah, but the thing is, is that there's a lot of good strength coaches out there. To gain, make somebody gain 30% is not that hard. Right. Uh, I think that, um, if, you know, they, they go see somebody who has a record of people getting strong, whether they play basketball or football. Yeah. To do the conversion is not that hard. So let's say Preston Green. He's a very good strength coach uh, with the Gators. You take that guy and you send him 10 MMA fighters, you know, his, his skill set is so high that those guys would be much better. But he could go see Ben Prentice, who's also very good in hockey, and he would transfer it. I mean, muscles are muscles, and then uh, you get certain motor pattern. And I think the, the thing to, with uh, MMA is like, what's the guy's top three techniques? And then strengthen those techniques. I mean, I think there is a, a, a point of training your strength, right? Yeah. yeah. So, for example, uh, Hicks and Gracie, you know, was fantastic at locking people in different arm bars or ankle locks or whatever, so you assess what would make a difference and you train those. It's time to arm bar somebody would be much shorter. Yeah. Now, you know Hicks and Gracie, right? Didn't you work with them for a while? I didn't work with him. I went to his dojo to train. Okay. Uh, the uh, but unfortunately he wasn't there. But the I've trained with uh, Horian and um, Hoist okay. in Montreal, and the the and I've been to Enzo's dojo and he recognized me. I mean, I guess within the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community, I do have some traction, but the uh, it's not as much as I would I would like to, um, but it's a great um, that's a great sport to work with because I don't think it would take that much. even two times six weeks a year. Yeah, could make a huge difference. Oh yeah. For what I've seen with the wrestlers, uh, it, I didn't because that's basically what I did with him this year because that's all the time we have. And right now the girls are in China and Mongolia and everywhere else. I won't see them for probably another two weeks, and then. I'm going to write the next program for the Christmas holidays. It's really hard. The thing is, is that what makes you a better wrestler is to wrestle. No doubt. No doubt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no two ways about it. But if I can get the girl stronger than 30% the the other girls, then it saves a lot of energy. Yeah. So I think, I mean, let's say someone has really good wrestling technique and they keep that, they keep maintaining that, but they don't have to keep improving it. And then you get them way stronger. Now they can apply that technique much more effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, that instead of having to punch someone three times and knock them out, now you do it once. Yeah. Or instead of having to do three takedown attempts to get the person down, now you get it on the first attempt. 
Like, for example, if Ronda were stronger in that Holly Holm fight, maybe she would have been able to flip her yeah. the first time she put her hands on her. Yeah, that's my take on that. You know, and then, but I have tremendous respect for both fighters. But oh, no doubt. You look at the great athletes, they've all had. I think it's really good for Ronda to lose. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. It's good for her and it's great for the sport. The sport, because otherwise people are going to get bored. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> They're going to get bored. People are already starting to get bored. You know, no, so. It was exciting, man. That, that fight was exciting. I mean, the, yeah. people were jumping out of their seats because I mean, it was just it was just really exciting to see that. So now the interest is what's going to happen next. You know, Other than that, if she won again, we all would have known what happened next. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, you know, she asked to... I'm sure she's going to reevaluate what she's done and what she needs to work on. Uh, and then home, I'm sure camp is going, okay, we won this one, but we're going to do today what the others will copy tomorrow, so we'll do this. Right. She's, uh, in, she's in a very smart training camp, right? The, the most methodical training camp is the one she's in. Yeah. So that that's what made, I think, a lot of people bet on home, is the fact that, not 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 just the fact that she's an extremely impressive striker, her background in striking, very impressive, but the camp she's in, you know, they're not going to just throw her in there and hope for the best. Yeah. yeah. They're going to break down every single thing about Ronda they can find and put together a very strategic plan. And what everyone said about Holly is that she executed that plan perfectly, yes. which she did. That's that's a fairly evident. But yeah. And the thing is, is that I think it's good for the sport because people say, okay, now that champ is defeatable. It's like when the guy first got a clean injured 500 pounds with him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. If 15 guys did it, same thing with a four-minute mile. Uh, mm-hmm. But Sometimes you just see someone do something. Like, like let's say, like you know, I have a goal of deadlifting six hundred pounds, and obviously I've seen people online do it, and I've seen many people do it. But just seeing someone in person do it, you're like, okay, it's it's attainable. You know, I can do it. Yeah, it just yeah. gives you that confidence, especially if you see someone who has maybe a similar body type to yours, same height, same similar mechanics. You're like, okay, now that I've now that I've seen it in person. My, your mind starts believing that you can do it too. So I think other fighters are going to start believing. You, we're probably going to see other people beat Ronda now because now someone's finally <laughs> done it. While every opponent she's ever had has gone in there going, man, no one's ever beaten this girl before. You know, they gave her way too much respect. Yeah, everybody was pretty much on the defensive the whole time. Like, let me not let me not get armbarred is pretty much what they <laughs> yeah, had in their mind losing. going in. They're not thinking about winning. They're worried about losing. <laughs> exactly. The thing is, is that, you know, you have your average of five people you spend the most time with. So, mm-hmm. you know, Holy Home just raised the average. Yeah. And I think that no doubt. it's going to attract more people to try to take her on. And then, you, you know, for example, U.S. weightlifting, the area pisses and moans, you know, we don't make progress, that, that, that. Well, you know, <laughs> the best way that U.S. weightlifting could do is A, learn how to raise money properly. But the thing that they need, the reason why the U.S. weightlifters don't do so well, is they don't train in a competitive environment. So I would import Bulgarian lifters who would be happy to eat good food every day. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And no, it makes sense. You know, and then you, you get put them, put them in the, you just, you hire a bunch of Bulgarian lifters and put them in the training center. You're, you're naturally going to have a, a higher competitive drive. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why a lot of the West Side lifters do so well. You know, Louis, yes, Louis, exactly. You know, Louis is very smart, but he also, 
I mean, who wants to walk in that gym and be the weakest guy there? You know, <laughs> you're naturally going to go in there and be like, "Fuck, man, I got some stuff to work on." Like, for example, you're not allowed to train there, and that's a few years back. You weren't allowed to train there on Saturday morning unless you benched 500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> so you know, so, and then the thing is, is that you know, raising the competitive environment makes a huge difference. It just brings the best out of everybody, right? Like a lot of people like to say, oh, there's too much competition. That's why the world is going down the drain. It's like, no, it's, no. <laughs> that's, that's not the reason why the world's going down the drain. That's, there's, there's, you got to separate competitive drive from being greedy and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. screwing. Just because you're competitive doesn't necessarily mean you're, gonna, you're trying to screw people over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, people have to distinguish these things, but like progress never happens without some level of competition. Exactly. I mean, uh, there's a, What's his name? Uh, Peter Diamond Diamandis, I think that's his name. So, I mean, he's he's putting together these these huge competitions for developing all kinds of things to help humanity, right? Where like millions of dollars are on the line, so that you're attracting the smartest people. And it's not just the money that's pulling them in; it's just that competitive drive. It's like I want to be the guy who discovers that. Right. I want to be the guy who cures that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think that's so. I think I think what could happen in the context of Ronda Rousey now is that she's finally lost because I think she was starting to believe what everyone has told her. Like, you know, you're invincible. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to touch you. No one's ever going to beat you. And that can't be good for you psychologically, right? Because why would you push yourself hard in a training camp when you believe in the back of your head you're thinking, ah, I could beat this girl with one arm tied behind my back. <laughs> you know, Now she knows that's not true. So like one of two things are going to happen. Like one, she's going to be so demoralized where she's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I ever want to do this again, which is unlikely, you know, given what a champion she is. And the other is going to be, okay, big time fire under her ass to figure out everything she did wrong, hire the right people to work on everything she needs to improve, and then just come back with some serious ferocity to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting uh, as a sports better, you know, on the rematch because this will probably be the first time ever that Ronda Rousey won't be the favorite. Yeah, they'll probably be the underdog. I mean, there's no reason why she wouldn't be the underdog given how she got defeated. It right. wasn't like it, it was, was like a five point. rounds going back yeah, and forth, yeah, exactly. or where it could have been a split decision or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was it was a dominant performance from by start Holly to finish. The entire time, <laughs> so there's no way that Holly won't be the favorite. So it's gonna it's gonna it's it's gonna be it's really gonna be dependent on what Ronda does between now and the next fight on whether she's worth betting on or not. You know, if she just decides to stay with the same people and do the same things, then you could bet your house on Holly, <laughs> right. not break a sweat. But if she does all the right things to improve, then it's going to be interesting. Just like with uh, Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo's coming mm-hmm. up, right? Yeah. Conor's the favorite, yeah. which doesn't yeah. make any sense <laughs> whatsoever to me. But as a guy who likes to bet on this stuff from time to time, I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo is the underdog, a guy who hasn't lost in 10 years. This is the <laughs> most dominant guy in that weight class. The number one ranked pound-for-pound fighter is the underdog. I was like, man, you know, this is the kind of opportunity. This is like an opportunity that you look for, you know, when you bet on stuff like stuff that doesn't make sense. That's right. So now it's like, well, shit. 
I'm, I'm not going to put twenty one thousand dollars down like this one guy did, you know, who made two forty. I mean, although that would have been fun, <laughs> put it, but I might put a few thousand down just for the hell of it because it doesn't make sense. But then at the same time, you have to hope that you know, he doesn't twist his ankle and comes in injured. <laughs> who the hell knows? There's so many variables that could happen. It's like it doesn't really matter what the spreads are. Like when the fight actually happens, anything can happen. Yeah. So that that's what makes that whole thing exciting, though. Yeah. So that uh, now. I know you got to go soon, so I'll just ask you one more question here. Now, I've heard you talk a lot about core training, right? And you basically state that the best core exercises are squats and deadlifts. And, and that makes a lot of sense. But are there any <coughs> core exercises you like, such as dragon flags or hanging leg raises or ab wheel rollouts? Do you find any of these things useful? Or are you just like, hey, just get strong on squats and deadlifts? I mean, the, the next size you name are like white belt exercises, right? Right, right, right. They do have an application, but there's very good work out of Newfoundland on that, that if you're really an athlete, you plateau doing those lower-grade exercises uh, after about eight weeks. So do they have a place? Yes. But, you know, once you've done that, I find with elite athletes, and that's before the research came out, that after six to eight weeks, they could probably do much any advanced core exercise on the planet and then uh, right, like so people that are strong on squats and deadlifts they can do dragon flags without ever doing it or they can do ab wheel rollouts without ever practicing it i Why wouldn't bother? Say, uh, that directly but their conversion rate to that new exercise uh, i remember paul check being in my place and he said, oh, this is the most advanced exercise. Nah, nah, nah. And then uh, when the hockey player got on his back and put uh, skates on and, it, and you know, did the same leg raise exercise, which supposedly was the most advanced form in the world, and he did 50 reps with heavy skates on. And Paul was like, couldn't say anything because... You know, the guy goes, "Is that what you mean?" And he was laughing. So, <laughs> so I take it. I take it you're not a fan of doing barbell squats on a Swiss ball, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that you know that people mistake training balance as just training core. Right, right, right. Okay, so, and then the thing is, is that something. What's the point of doing these balance exercises where you're throwing out gang signs while you're trying to stabilize yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then and I don't then, know. Maybe it's an MTV. I, mean, I shouldn't say MTV because they don't play videos anymore. But like, maybe it's a music video they're working on. Some moves. <laughs> no, the thing is, is that I don't think that me walking on a high beam and doing gang size, gang size, well, fucking, what do you think? It's an offensive alignment, right? Right, right. So it's like it's like saying I'm going to teach you Finnish. But I'm posting you in Hong Kong. Well, fuck. <laughs> but if you speak Mandarin, you know, or Cantonese or something like that. So to do work just to do work that doesn't transfer. Well, well I think a lot of people say stuff. You hear a lot of trainers say stuff such as, oh, you need to work on your core to have a strong squat or deadlift. But my, my reverse statement to that is if you work on the squat and deadlift, you're going to have a strong core. core. <laughs> how, how could you deadlift a heavy weight without a strong core right? Yeah. Or, or a squat? I mean, it's like Kaz Meyer last week. He always says, What's the best way to improve your squat? Is it uh, squatting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next question. 
it's a, it's like you're, you're going to get better at deadlifts without doing deadlifts? You know, how does that work? <laughs> you know? No, it's like people expect you to say an answer like, no, you need to do 10 Sudoku de- uh, drills a day. And that's going to improve the squat. Like, this is a magical answer. You know, it's like saying, how can I improve my German? Well, fuck speak German. I mean, practice German. That's the only way. So the, the thing is, is that, for example, when I work at the ski team, you know, going through gates, you know, for the female athletes was um, something challenging mentally. But they told me, you know, when they first did arm training, they were, ah, why are we doing arm training? We don't use arm training in skis. But then after the first season, the girl goes, hey, you know, training those arms really help my confidence going through the gates. I can smash them. You know, it doesn't yeah. scare me anymore. Yeah. So, you know, and then the ski coaches are like, okay, you win. But the thing is, is that they realized that we didn't do, so we would do six weeks a year of quote-unquote core exercises, and after that, the bulk of the core was Olympic lifts, snatches, deadlifts, whatever, uh, squats, and then suddenly, all the lower back injuries went away with the what they call the technical teams, which is like slalom and giant slalom, so then people said, why were our lower back injuries lower? And uh, let me guess, is it you need the fact that you got a stronger lower back and not a stronger core? So, and I find that a lot of times when people are inefficient at doing something, they come out with a training method, and if they fail to make gains, they say it's something spiritual. Oh, you didn't get along with your father when you were four years old. That's what you said. That's what you showed us about that. You put someone on a training regimen like, I didn't get the results I wanted. I was like, yeah, but what unresolved issues do you have in your performance? You know? I'm going to start using that with anyone who's like, hey, Mike, I tried your tea booster. I didn't get anything out of it. I was like, yeah, but come on. We know you're suppressing something that happened when you were eight. You need to get that out of you. Some guy came to see him. I was in his office, and this guy tore his shoulder playing hockey and being a goon. So, you know, his subscapularis was completely torn. And the guy says, well, so he put the guy on the rehab pro- protocol, and I saw the rehab protocol, and I would not rehab yet, right? And he put in all these core exercises, but the guy's problem was the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> he didn't know how to train the shoulder. And then when the guy complained that he had no results, he goes, well, it's the right shoulder. That means you didn't get along with your father. Unless you resolve your issues with your father, it's never going to work. Oh, man. And I thought the hockey player was going to give him a Sherwood sandwich. Which basically means he's gonna take a hockey stick and ran into the guy's teeth, right? <laughs> which he should have done. But the thing is, is that you know when they have no results, then they blame spirituality. <laughs> spirituality is always a scapegoat, huh? That's right. That's right. And religion is the biggest shakedown for money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of that last thing with you, I, I saw you. I think it was a Twitter post or a Facebook post. You were talking about the horrible events that happened in Paris recently. And you were saying you were tired of seeing posts about, oh, how we need to sit down with these people and have a conversation. And uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, man. I go, these aren't the kind of people you reason with. Do they sound like reasonable people to you? It's like, oh, yeah, this is just this is just a desperate cry for talking. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, luckily Churchill didn't believe that bullshit with, with Hitler, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Robbing the fuck out of him until he committed suicide was a solution. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, I mean, the uh, but you know, it's like saying, "Oh, 
France bombed them. Like, motherfucker, you've known where they are for years. Why didn't you do it then? And then the other thing, oh, how come all these six guys went to Syria to train? I mean, turns out that four of the terrorists were in Syrian training camps and faked being Syrian refugees. Mm. One of them, they, they scanned him, they proved that he was in Greece on his way to France. I yeah. mean, and now we, you want to put 25,000 Trojan horses in your country? It's like, yeah. fuck, yeah. give me a fucking break, you know? <laughs> I, th- I think the Russians tend to have the blueprint on how to handle terrorism pretty well. I remember, I remember yeah. years ago there were there was a terrorist incident where a bunch of people were held hostage. So yeah. what they did is they found out who the families were of all of the people, all, all of the terrorists, and they said, if you don't release the hostages, we're going to start killing your family members. <laughs> And bam, they released all the hostages. Thus far, we don't hear very many incidents of terrorism in Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Nobody thinks about doing a terrorist act there because it's not going to fly. Plus, and then there was another incident where they held people hostages, and they just raided the place. They didn't care about the safety of the hostages. They're like, you know what? We're not. We, we don't want the. We don't want to set a precedent of we're going to negotiate with you, dipshits. Right. So we yeah. rather we rather just raid the place, take our chances. But you guys are going to be done. Yeah. No, it's you know. It, it's people that you can't reason, so you know you just fucking take them out. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey man, we appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for coming on. Another fascinating conversation, and yep. hopefully people will actually hear this one <laughs> because the last one was good too. But uh, what, what do you have coming? Do you have anything going on? We're getting towards the end of the year now. It's Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas. But do you have any courses or any products no, in the works? Actually, I'm teaching my last course in Dallas this weekend with Ed Sakota. Oh, okay. And then that'll be done for 2015. I'm taking three months off. Fantastic. And then that three months off from teaching but not off work, finishing yeah. <laughs> my members, members only website because, you know, traveling so much takes a toll and let's say a guy in Croatia, you can't get a, a visitor's permit to take a class in England. So a lot of people that would like to hear my information but they can't afford it or they the, the family obligation, whatever the case may be, and they'd rather pay twenty to two hundred bucks a month to get all that Kennedy Edge information. Sure. The thing is, it never replaces in-person seminars where I, I can correct you, or whatever. So I'm still going to have those, um, but only at the fourth of the exposure I did last year. Right. So right. I'm cutting my seminars by seventy-five percent, and uh, we're going to post uh, December fifteenth. And then I expect to sell out probably within a week because I'm not going to teach that much. One thing that I'm teaching that's going to be very interesting is to look it up on the site soon. I'm going to be teaching with Ed Cohn at the University of Hawaii. Oh, great. Hmm. And I'm going to use it as a fundraiser for the University of Hawaii. So uh, the proceeds go to them. The point being is that I've been to the University of Hawaii uh, when I was on vacation. And I was so surprised. Although the budget was, hmm. I really like the guy. So I said, dude, I'll bring in Ed Cohen. I'll pay for it. And then I'll donate you the money. This is going to be in, where, where, whereabouts in Hawaii would this be? At the University of Hawaii, in Honolulu. Oh, okay, Honolulu. Okay, it's great. the last weekend of, uh, of January. And it's part of their annual strength conference. But Ed and I is, will, this on, is this on your website now? People can sign up no, for it? December 15th, you'll see it. Uh, okay. Okay. Great. The thing is, is that there's other conferences. I've got my one of my best German students, Wolfgang Unsel. He's going to teach on uh, training for grappling sports, which would be interesting. And there's a lot of uh, conferences. And you know, Ed and I will talk about how do you apply what we know from powerlifting to strength training for sports. 
That's great. Ed's a great guy. Mm-hmm. We're going to get him on the show soon. He's he's Mark Philippi's mentor. So I've 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 met Ed in person one time briefly, but Mark has so many good things to say about Ed, and I love watching Ed's training clips yeah. on YouTube. His, his information is incredible. He's very very good. I mean, I, I mean, I, we get a lot. For some reason, we we meet each other about four times a year, and he's uh, he's also a guy you could have really down to earth conversation about training, and it, it's it's you know there's genius and simplicity. Yeah. And great, great sense of humor as well. He's a pretty funny yeah, guy. Very dry, but very funny. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we both love tigers. So we have that in common. And um, yeah, the other thing—that's the other thing you do. You support a Serenity Springs out there in Colorado. Correct. I'm actually adopting a new tiger this week. That's no, great. So this is this is a, just so people know this is a legit sanctuary where they're not breeding. <laughs> you know, there's a there's actually a lion sanctuary up the road here in Vegas where, where they. I mean, the good thing they do is they take tigers that used to be – or lions, rather, that used to be in the shows here in Vegas, right? So they have a sanctuary. But the bad thing is they breed there for new lions in the shows. So it's, yeah. not, it's not a legit sanctuary. Yeah. That's the problem there. Well, Serenity Springs, my understanding, doesn't do that. So they're, they're taking in rejected animals for whatever reason, tigers. Just tigers, right, not lions. They've got every feline, you know. Oh, Okay. Okay. And we also have some bears and you know some lemurs. They got some, okay. and actually they got gators now. Wow. Uh, but the thing is, is that yeah, I think it's my 18th big cat that I've adopted so far, and this one's name is Hercules. That's picked by my daughter, and then uh, you know I've I've got so many insults on Facebook for doing that. I'm going to do that. I'm just trying to protect the species. You know, getting insults for doing that for what? Why? Huh? I'd say these animals belong in the wild. Well, Jesus. Yeah, they they don't belong in the wild. But this is a situation where it's either this or a zoo. You can't put them back in. Can't put them in the wild. Come on. Yeah, but you know, at least we have the genetic stock that you know. There's some accidents. You know, for example, we have three tigers born. That was a complete accident. But yeah, and we had one time. Last year, I adopted this tiger. The mother gave birth, but she abandoned them. It's only when they cleaned the cages, they found, they figured out that that baby was there for a day without anything. Yeah. She didn't yeah. feed him, so of course we didn't do kill the tiger. No, we so I adopted him, we fed him, and now he's a big boy, and uh, he's got three girlfriends. I think, and, I think people have these uh, uh, irrational <laughs> notions of what the wild is, right? Yeah, yeah. happy family where everybody gets along. <laughs> I mean, they, that's that Disney fantasy. They've watched The Lion King one too many times. I mean, even Mufasa got taken out in that movie. People, let's do a reality here. Come on. No, maybe someday somebody's gonna, you know, buy enough land and they're safe, and then we could reintegrate them. Then, sure, mm-hmm. their offspring. But yeah. in the meanwhile, we have to preserve, preserve the genetic stock at least. You know, I mean, last week. The eastern puma has been taken off the endangered species list because it's dead. It doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Well, that shit pisses me off, but then we, we weren't careful. So, we, you know, there's nothing I can do about the eastern puma, but at least if I can help some Siberian tigers with Sumatran tigers, yeah. hey, good, you know, good for, for the species. And then, yeah. um, you, you know, I, I donate Navy SEAL Foundation. 10% of what I make, I donate to different mm-hmm. uh, charities because... You know, there's no point being the richest man in the cemetery. <laughs> right. Right. And from experience, every time I donate, I make more money. So I'm always get rewarded. That's always that's always yes. been my experience too. I think, I, I think I think there's I think there's several reasons why, but I think one reason is that you're not afraid 
to give away money, right? Right. So yeah. in other words, some people are like they they make money and they're they they're so afraid that they're never going to make more money, right? So they 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 have this real mentality of I can't give it to any organization, I can't do anything with it, like this fear based mindset. My my attitude is nothing ever really good comes out of a fear based mindset. Yeah, it's always going to impede some successful action. Yeah, you get what you give, man. It's really just, just that simple. You can call it karma or whatever. You get what you give. So if you're worried about, hey, I don't want to lose this, then, okay, whatever that is that you don't want to lose, that's all you're going to have. Don't worry about it. You won't lose that. But you're not going to get anything else either. <laughs> so yeah, I, remember, I remember even when I was broke coming up in the business, I still supported some of the organizations that I was a fan of because my attitude was, Hey, I'm mm-hmm. not making good money right now, but I, I I have an apartment, you know, I have a car. You know, I'm not hungry, fridge, so I have some money I can give. <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not in a homeless shelter. You know, I'm not sleeping in a tent on the mm-hmm. beach. And you decide the clothes you put on your back today. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think I think that's I think I think one thing that stops some people from supporting different charities is because they just feel like a lot of them are scams, which is true. Right. You know, a lot of them are scams. So that charity mm-hmm. charitynavigator.org is a good website to go vet companies and take a look at how much the top three people make, which is always this pretty strong indicator of how well the funds are being allocated. But there are a lot of good organizations out there. You know, warriorangels.org. Dr. Mark Gordon works with a lot of soldiers to help them with. Post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a great organization. Let me do a link on that. I don't know. Yeah, I'll send. I'll send it to you. Yes, yeah, it's warriorangels.org, and he's a great guy, and that's a great organization. So I mean, uh, voice for animals. Voice, voice for, for animals. animals. Our friend Melia Kaplan, and she works okay. with the uh, Los Angeles police out there to help a lot of abandoned dogs, cats, etc. She does a great job. Great lady. Yeah, you save the chance. She, she lives. She yeah, lives yeah. off. She lives off twenty thousand dollars a year in L.A. <laughs> that's what she pays herself. It's nothing. You know, the L.A. is an expensive <laughs> town, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's not so, so she's she's dedicated. You know, she's not saying, Well, let me pay myself two hundred K so I'm comfortable <laughs> in my Beverly Hills, you know, apartment and then I'll uh, allocate the rest to help out. So I mean I, I think the key is to find people that are that people people should join nonprofits because they want to they're dedicated to the cause, right? They're not trying to make an investment bank or income. You know, if you want to make a lot of money, you go do that. You don't go join a nonprofit to make a lot of money, even though a lot of them have figured out that it's a good angle because you work on people's guilt. It's like, <laughs> right. well, it's like look at all these people suffering over here. So just go ahead and donate your money so I can pay myself five hundred thousand bucks, and then maybe mm-hmm. we'll give five or ten dollars to the cause that you know you're donating mm-hmm. to. Yeah, yeah. Well, great, man. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. And yep. strengthsensei.com is the website. you got a, a ton of great information on there, to say the least. And then I look forward to the membership side. I also look forward to that Hawaii course because I've been wanting to get back to Hawaii for a while. And love, great love to, off your taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to definitely sign up to take your course. And then I like that it's going to a good cause as well. So, I mean, that's win-win all around. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for your inviting me. Always a pleasure talk to you guys and anything I can do to help let me know thanks right, a lot thanks Charles. a lot Charles. appreciate it you take bye. care bye 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 and again that's our friend Charles Poliquin check out straight strengthsensei.com I mean if you haven't heard of Charles and you're in the fitness business I don't <laughs> I don't know what part of the fitness business you're in because he's so prolific with optimal strength training information I mean everyone's been influenced by his work on how to get people stronger and better conditioned and also what you can do is that's Remember what Charles said about you know you or actually what you said sincere you get what you give and Charles said that too and I said that too well I think some of you people need to take that message to heart and actually apply it <laughs> there's a couple of things you can do one you can go give us a review it doesn't cost you a dime go give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher you know we should have 500 reviews on there by now 
know, it's mm-hmm. like it's been like like 193 for like six months. You know, we need <laughs> we need 500 reviews on there. So the least you can do if you're enjoying the show is go leave us a review. If you're not enjoying the show, then stop listening. Why are you listening every week if you don't like the show? I don't I don't listen to shows I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you. (laughs) Straight the hell out of here. (laughs) And you can also use that coupon code LLA to take the next step and support our businesses. You can get 10% off everything you see at MikeMahler.com. And how about with you, man? And the same thing at NewWarriorTraining.com. So other than that, you can also head over to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. And you can support the show on a monthly basis right there, like so many people are doing. What's really funny to me now, Mike, is that... Out of what seems, every time I get a notice that I'm thinking of some new Patreon supporters, actually current Patreon supporters who are now upping their monthly donation to the show. It's like they, they're, they're taking the, they're, they're making sure their head will never go by their ass ever again. Okay. They're putting up ass barriers by raising, you know, what they, <laughs> what they support the show with. So in that box, yeah, you see like that $1 right there. And that's just like the default thing that they have as far as Patreon. But you know what? Doesn't mean you have to do it. And you know, honestly, $1. You know, most people say, well, all it takes is a dollar when you donate to like a disaster or something like that. Well, that's usually because you have about a million people or three million people watching. So, yeah, that one dollar means a lot. But right now, look here, man. Go ahead, throw a zero behind that one or at least start off with five dollars a month. And that really helps us with the production, the post-production of the show, us counteracting Skype's bullshit, <laughs> you know, and things like that. And and also, like I say, it keeps us keeps us doing this show and we can bring great Great coaches and great people like Charles Poliquin on this show and actually talk to him about the shit you won't hear on other shows. Everybody yeah. else's show, no matter what, some of these guests that we've had, I've seen them on other shows and every show they talk about the same damn thing. And guess what? A lot of times I don't see those people coming back to those shows again either. It's usually yeah, a one time interview. Making, I was making fun of Ted Rice because he's like, oh, hey, man, great job with Ryan Holiday. That was one of the best interviews I've heard with them. I was like, come on, Ted. It was the best interview. <laughs> no need to be coy about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when we bring someone on, it's going to be a conversation, not us just drilling them with questions. And the same questions. Yeah, and, the you same know, questions that we've heard on other shows. Tomorrow, we're going to do our best to bring out that person's personality, man. So they, they tomorrow, one thing about this show, they, people can feel safe coming on this show it's like look if you think somebody's full of shit you can say it and guess what no one's gonna just oh, well he's really a and, great and guy we're, we're not gonna bring people on the show with the purpose of a hostile interview either no we, we bring we, we bring people on who we don't like for the purpose of <laughs> we just, just thrash them I'm not, I'm not down with that shit i don't like that no uh, I, I mean if i don't like the person why would we want to have them come on the show exactly that's number one and number two i'm not going to bring someone on the show under false pretenses oh i'd love to have you come on the show and then we're just slamming them the whole time but fuck that shit that's some no. fuck news crap right there don't do that or any media outlet pretty much at this point i'd rather uplift people that i think are doing great things whether it's in the fitness business or nonprofit organization or whatever the context is yeah i don't have time to send a deal with some some ass fuck i'm sorry man i'm just not interested (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean there have been some people we thought were pretty cool and then we had a little dialogue and we're like what the fuck is wrong with this person (laughs) exactly this little diva response i was like what the fuck is that It's like, no, you're not coming on the show. And as always, I know you're probably like, oh, I wonder who you guys are talking about. Well, it's going to be hard to find out because they'll never be back on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, and why the... would we give them exposure? Like, exactly. Them, exactly. <laughs> oh, one more thing to plug <laughs> is our, our friend, Dr. Julio Garcia, he yes. recommended, he sent us an email about a great coffee company oh, yes, called yes. Grounds and Hounds. Hounds. And what they do is they donate 20% of proceeds to help abandoned animals. 
Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, I got a I got some of their coffee today. I got the <laughs> paper and slippers. Paper and slippers. I'm trying to see what's in this here. Let me grab it real quick. Yeah, it's just yeah. one of their one of their flavors, and it's a medium yeah. roast. It's the flavoring that they list on is brownie, toasted walnut, blackberry jam. Yes, so yeah, those are all the those are all the the the, the viratiles. So those are all the characteristics. Okay. Those are the things. See, that's a good thing about it. when you buy quality coffee. When you get quality coffee, you'll recognize those things. You'll taste and you're like, oh, I taste a hint of this. I taste a hint of that. You won't get that from a cup from some coffee you get from a red cup that everybody's bitching about because they don't have Christmas on it. And right. you guys know what company I'm talking about, Starbucks. So, you know, you can't get any characteristics from their coffee other than it, it, it tastes like shit or it tastes like r- deep shit, <laughs> okay, for the most part. <laughs> and you probably brainwash yourself thinking like, well, you know, it's, it's okay. No, it's not. So, you know, I love it when I see I, that. I made a cup of this coffee in the yeah. tree door today before yeah. the show. Tastes great, man. Incredible. Like, it's been getting a little bit colder out here, so I'm, I've got yeah. coffee back in my routine. So I cut it out for a while because I like to phase things out. And yeah. so sometimes people are like, hey, Mike, uh, I heard you don't drink coffee. And then the other episodes like, oh, hey, I heard you drink coffee. And they're like, well, which one is it? I was like, depends. <laughs> it depends <laughs> what day you call, what, what day you ask me. You know, just sometimes like people think, people think I drink that. coffee every day. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, because the, I, first of all, I don't want to jack my adrenals up. And number two, I don't want to get to the point where I just don't appreciate it. You know, to the point my tongue just gets freaking numb to it. So, no, nah, man, nah, nah, no, I, I, I rotate, but I went on that site. I'm sitting there. My biggest problem, especially I just came back from Santa Fe and I bought so much coffee out there from a really cool <laughs> coffee shop. And, and then we stopped in Dallas on our way back home and there's so many great coffee shops there. So I'm thinking I'm one of those people like I don't want to have coffee that's not going to be consumed within the first three weeks right. that has been roasted because otherwise it, for a year or something. Exactly. So uh, otherwise I can drink Folgers. Some, you know, it's going to have a, you know, so my thing is I want to taste those characteristics that are on there. So I've had this, the page, you know, two grounds and hounds like open on my browser. So I don't forget. So, you know, but you don't want to drink Folgers because that can, that can lead to lapses in judgment. I mean, who knows what you'll do next? You might, you may endorse primal bells or train with them. You know, I mean, you know it's a slippery slope, man. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Tomorrow, or next time I do, I might start throwing butter in my folders. I don't know, man. <laughs> Just all types of confusion can happen. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may take it a step for, worse and put margarine in there for Christ's sake. Exactly. Oh, you know, especially, you know, you know, I'm vegan now. So, yeah, I got to put, like, wait a minute. We got to do this for the vegans now. So, why don't we put margarine in our coffee? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. Torito, what I do is I take, I make some good coffee in the tree door. I'll add a teaspoon of coconut butter for a little some taste. Of that. Just as, as basically my equivalent of a creamer, right? Right, right. And, and then yeah. I'll put a little bit of chocolate rice protein powder in there usually yeah. on on mornings where i go sprinting i'll just have that first thing in the morning yeah take some beats go running <laughs> feel great man it's just a nice mood lifter there's something nice about having a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning too oh yeah or it's just a warm feeling or just having something warm when you first wake up you know just <laughs> start that flushing situation right <laughs> off the bat man you're like whatever you had the night before you want to go ahead and get that working now because it's been hanging out with you for about the eight Eight or nine hours that you've been sleeping, hopefully. Just want to go ahead and get that going. I'll tell you, a great morning cleanse is what, what I got. That from lime and water, right? Yeah, yeah. The salt water? You take, you take a lime, you squeeze it into a glass of water, and then you put about, I think it's about a fourth of a teaspoon of sea salt, Himalayan yeah. sea salt mm-hmm. in there. Stir it up, drink that first thing in the morning. Yeah. If that doesn't clean you out, then I don't you know. You got some issues. You, That's a good <laughs> test right there to tell you yeah. just how clogged up you are. Yeah, man. If that doesn't <laughs> clean you out, I don't know what will. So you have that first thing in the morning, you know, then you have your cup of coffee. You should be cleaned out twice. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You, know, you, should, that, you, should, you should be experiencing a double cleansing each morning and then have a great way to produce your day. Because some of you people are full of shit, literally. 
And that explains why you haven't given us a review or bought products from us or or doing anything productive with your day because you're literally full of shit. It kind of makes sense now, right? How are you going to do anything productive? You're waiting for a dump, man. That's what you're making. I was like, man, you need to – Need to go listen to some hardcore music, some death metal. Go, <laughs> go do some deadlifts. And go take a good grumper, and then you know, you're gonna have a perfect day. <laughs> oh, so I mean, man. I think I think this should be the routine, man. You do the the lime juice with sea salt. You get some good coffee there in the morning. You go get a great workout in, and then before and you're gonna have a great workout because you cleansed out all the stuff that's gonna hold you back from having a great workout. You know, you know what cracks me up is when someone's taking a crap at the gym. You know, it's like that's, that's okay. Let me tell you something, man. That's what you had to do in the middle of the Let me tell you. you know? First of all, first of all, <laughs> look, man. I've, I've. This is the, the industry right before this one. There was a rule. Okay, when I was DJing, rule number one: you never take a dump at a club, ever. <laughs> it's the worst place in the world to take a dump. Just, just get over it, hold it. The worst, man. The worst. Punk, punk rock club. Oh, like, oh, like hip hop. Any club. In New York City, that place is notorious. I don't care if you had an explosive diarrhea, man. You look, ran man. around the block and looked for something else. Those bathrooms are so bad, you don't even want to take a leak in one of those clubs. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to hold it. I'm going to stop drinking right now. I'm just – I can't. I can't even stomach and hold my breath long enough, man. So so the second worst place to take a dump is a gym because guess what? Guess what? Nine times out of ten, especially if it's not a big commercial gym, if it's a small gym, everyone knows it's you. Okay? So when you come out – no, remember when we did the Age of Coral course? I was about to say, Ken. And then the bathrooms right there are like right next to where everyone's standing around when someone's yep. instructing. So, I mean, you, you open that door, looking over to see who just came out. <laughs> well, you can see their essence. You can see the, the fumes and the, the aura of their funk around their body as it is. It's just like, oh, man, and dude. Our friend Kim Blackburn's like always a guy who has to take a, like a crap in the middle of a workshop. Yes. It's like, oh, hey, can you take over for a second? I got to go. You hit the head. Hey, I was hey, like, Why? Sam, can you, can you demonstrate this? I'll be right back. I'm like, no, especially at my gym. I'm like, no, don't. I, I you can't. I wake up two hours early before I talk. <laughs> yeah, I do. Just to make sure I got everything out. Yes. That's the last thing I want to think about when I'm teaching. Look, man, course. any course I do, either if I'm attending someone's course, I don't want to sit there. I can go. I can go that whole day without having to go to the bathroom because I make sure I get everything out first thing in the morning. I give myself two to three hours, man. I refuse. So uh-uh. I also have somewhat of a paranoia of public restrooms. You know? Or oh yeah, I go out of my way to avoid using them. That's yes, the there's not a to- there's not enough toilet paper in the world to shroud those those freaking lids, man, to make me feel like oh, okay, I'm good now. You know, I'm still like ah. Eh. I, I could be on the strip, man. If I have to go, I'll drive home. And then go back. <laughs> oh well. Well, I mean, come on. We had an experience on, you know, of course, we taught last year, man, where yeah, I was yeah, telling yeah. you, like, hey, man, how far are we from your house? And, you know, it was a lot of there were a lot of places to stop. But trust me, I was like, nah, man, we got to get to your house. No, I, I mean, I understand the mentality. I didn't even, I, didn't, I, I, I was like, hey, we'll go back. I get, I get it. Man. I was dying, you want, man. You want to be in a comfortable environment. Yep. Right? Exactly. You don't want to be in an environment where it's really uncomfortable and you're like, oh, this is disgusting. It's like, I know you. And I, and I know how you feel about bathrooms too. So, I mean, you and I—we talk about the people who go in bathrooms, don't wash their freaking hands. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why didn't you wash your hands all the time? What the hell? You just had your hand on your your freaking junk, and then you touched that toilet seat that 
50 million other nasty motherfuckers have touched. Come on, man. And then these are the people that come out like, hey, man, how you doing? I want to give you dab. Like, no, don't touch. What? Put put that hand back where you found it. That's why the fist pump was invented. Exactly. Well, I don't even do that now. It's just like more like a. That's not good enough. No, I throw a flying elbow now. It's kind of like this little elbow throw. (laughs) Like elbow to elbow now. So thank God for Muay Thai. (laughs) Teaching me that Uh, technique. Oh, man. Hey, we should do a whole show on this topic. (laughs) Yes, to my. The the poo episode. Okay. Those of you that tuned in to listen to Charles, this was some bonus material. That there you, you go. <laughs> All right. Oh, man, we're going to wrap it up, and we'll talk to everyone, or we'll see everyone, or you'll hear from us <laughs> next time around. All right, folks. Take care.